0: Come oh. Hello and welcome to Jokerman Podcast, typically a podcast about Lou Reed, John Cale, and the Velvet Underground, was once a podcast about Bob Dylan, is now, this summer, every other week through the end of August, a podcast about Donald Fagan, Walter Becker, and Steely Dan. That's right, Joker Dan is back, and we're doing not Eleven Tracks Whack, or Everything Must Go, or even Morph the Cat, we're doing The Gold classic standards. The Magnificent Seven from the 1970s up until 1980 with Gaucho, starting today with Can't Buy a Thrill, and we're thrilled to be joined by Jake Maluli of Expanding Dan, your go-to one-stop shop for everything Steely Dan on Substack. Jake, thanks so much for joining.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure is all... Ours, pleasure's all mine, I should say. Evan, our intrepid co-host, is uh, off on his international journey. At the moment, he'll be back shortly. But today, it's just going to be mono in e mono, Don and Walt style, uh, two against nature. Uh, can we start, Jake, just by, I mean, so Expanding Dan is such an incredible kind of resource, uh, and it uh, seems like it's going to become an even more incredible resource with the podcast that you're getting off the ground there. Um, but, uh, just tell us a little bit about like, (laughs) why, why Steely Dan, where'd you come from with these two, uh, and how did it turn into, uh, you know, kind of everything that it has?
1: Yeah, the newsletter, uh, kind of began, I'm a journalist by profession and like a lot of things, uh, the newsletter began as a magazine pitch, uh, in January of 2022 or 2021 two, I pitched Wax Poetics on an oral history of recording with Steely Dan. Um I had kind of I think I had sort of subliminally been looking for a work-related reason to dig deep into the Dan because sure. you know I had long time been a fan, but um I realized in January of twenty twenty two that in November it would be the 50th anniversary of the record we're going to talk about today. And um That's right. That was a good enough peg for me to uh to go down that wormhole and um i basically just started interviewing everyone under the sun who's ever recorded with steely dan it seemed to be interesting to me that no one had ever really done an oral history style piece about them mm-hmm. um whether it be a book or a long magazine piece because they seem like they they're sort of perfect perfectly set up for that because they've worked with so many different people and so you get that kind of Rashomon style um <laughs> look at working with them from all these different directions and yeah so basically talk to i would say easily 70 75% of the people they worked with in the studio over the course of the magnificent 7 albums um and did the magazine piece it was something like 10,000 words but there there was just so much on the cutting room floor i felt that uh, I didn't want to go to waste and I was trying to figure out what the best venue for that was. And a newsletter seemed like the, the, the sort of best, uh, avenue for that because with magazine pieces, you know, you have to pitch an editor, you got to sell people on it and there's all a bunch of planning that goes into it. You know, with a newsletter, I can kind of follow my whims and and publish whatever I want. Um, totally. and then, uh, more recently, uh, Yeah, decided to start a podcast that isn't doesn't really have any talking on it. I'll leave that to the experts like you, but (laughs) it's uh, it's all dedicated to um, music mixes of you know Steely Dan related stuff like AOR, city pop, um, jazz music, and it's kind of uh, sort of dedicated to the musicians who Steely Dan, a lot of the session guys who Steely Dan played with.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, a fascinating kind of element of the story and one that I think we'll we'll get to talk about a little bit here today uh is the the rogues gallery of uh session players that Don and Walt uh involved in the making of these records um and uh the the way that the band kind of came together accidentally as, you know, basically just a bunch of studio guys sort of thrown together and then turning into a touring and recording act, and then the stripping away of a lot of that and really Mm -hmm. turning into just this gleaming, you know, Terminator twosome (laughs) uh, behind the mixing board uh, and then cycling in, yeah, just endless numbers of the uh, most expensive and most talented musicians of the 1970s, from Michael McDonald to Bernard Purdy to Jim Keltner. Uh, You know, it's it's just uh, a real who's who of who was around in that world at that time. Um, when did you, I guess when did, so like uh, another element of what is so fascinating about Steely Dan, you know, right now uh, and and part of what I, I want to get into on this whole series as we embark upon it is like the Steely Dan naissance, you know, that we're, we're sure. in right now uh, and that I feel like has been ongoing for quite some time at this point. I, I don't know when it started, right, but I feel like. Uh, Bad Dan takes, you know, Alex on Twitter kind of marks uh, the the big bang of (laughs) these two emerging back into the uh, extremely online world that we all inhabit. when did you, when, I guess, what, what was your genesis just with, like, listening to this music? Because I don't know how old you are, but I can tell you're not my dad's age. And he was growing up with Asia in 1977. Um, so was this <laughs> something that you kind of came to as a kid or? You know, my first memory of listening
1: to Steely Dan is probably the first track from Camp by a Thrill, uh, although it wasn't, you know, on the album. It was played on the... my. The school bus that I used to take to school. It reminds me of on
0: the school bus.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was our bus driver uh, listened to classic rock radio. Okay, he was this uh, guy Walter Baltakowski was his name Wally, and he would he seems sort of yeah exactly. <laughs> I never really put that together that it was Walter, but um he uh, he seems sort of like a reformed Hell's Angel. Um, okay. He he. Uh, Very sick. He was kind of like a auto from The Simpsons type character. Mm, mm-hmm, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, he had uh, he was kind of covered in sailor tattoos, and the the one tattoo that you would see as you walked on the bus was on his right forearm, uh, the same arm that he would use to you know pull the lever to open the door, and it was a skull with a top hat, and the skull was smoking a cigar. All right. And for a long time uh Wally also smoked a cigar on the bus Damn, you know this... which was f- full of children.
0: <laughs> this dude was cool
1: <laughs> as hell. He seems sort of like a Steely Dan character now that I think about yeah. it. But um <laughs> until you know some parents complained uh finally and he uh had to start just chewing uh a toothpick which became kind of his trademark. But um yeah he would play classic rock radio um and you know there was something about do it again that was just kind of mysterious and mm. um really captured my imagination and i didn't really think much about it um in terms of like you know seeking out i was probably like you know it was i think it was the late 80s or early 90s i was like 6 or 8 years old and didn't really go about seeking out the dan but um then later on uh after college i had a roommate named mike gutierrez who was an insane like house and and hip hop fan and he had a huge record collection mm-hmm. and he had even gotten into a lot of the stuff that um was sampled on a lot of those records mm. um he you know he had all the tribe vibes records that had all the the jazz music that was sampled on the tribe called quest sure. albums and among his record collection he had asia and so my roommates and I, we would, we just started listening to 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 Asia nonstop. Like it sure. was just, it was incredible. And we were like, where did this record come from? And that just like, from there, you know, I just fell down the wormhole. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people's experience is, Can't Buy a Thrill is the first record that mm-hmm. they got into. Because um, it's the most rocking, it's the most kind of traditionally 70s rock album but um Asia was my entree and uh I kind of feel like that's sort of formed my you know I'm not that into ranking the albums I, I think a lot of people have a preoccupation with that right but uh you know I think that kind of formed my sort of tier system um you know if I'm forced at gunpoint to rank the the Dan catalog it's it's you know asia gaucho um royal scam are probably the god tier and then below that is like literally kind of just everything else everything else sure not not in like a demoted way but uh just uh doesn't to me feel like it rises up to that level but um you know i actually around that same time uh it's kind of funny i started dating a girl whose name was asia wow okay (laughs) aja Aja, wow Um, shout out to asia so um you know i when we start it wasn't a serious relationship but you know we started going out and i was like i want to impress this girl so i uh i bought her asia on vinyl and uh that was not a good move apparently (laughs) (laughs) because uh she she uh, you know unwrapped it and and sort of you know, said, OK, I'll, I'll throw it on the pile. You know, it's it was right. clear that that uh, I wasn't the first guy to have, have bought to her that. Album. Pull that move.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, folks out there, uh, you know, watch out if you're buying Steely Dan records for uh, <laughs> for your girl, uh, especially if she's named after one. Um, yeah, I think that that's uh, I think that's a really interesting concept and, and sort of similar to me, actually, uh, in that Asia and Gaucho were the ones that I started with. Also, um, uh, uh, I remember sort of like, you know, the cover of Asia is so it's maybe like the one steely tan cover that doesn't extremely suck shit um, and, and always has been so kind of mystifying and exciting to me. Um, and, uh, uh, and I remember at one point, you know, deciding, all right, this is something I'm going to listen to, especially cause my dad, uh, was into it and, you know, was encouraging me to, to move in that direction. And it didn't sound anything like what I expected it to sound like, you know, it was a seven song record and one of the songs was Peg, but then the first fucking half of the album was just these extended spaced out, uh, 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 you know, jazz explosions. Um, but there was something just sort of mysterious and, uh, essential about it that I wanted to kind of get to and unlock. And finally, you know, after enough banging my head against the wall, I think I got there, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been funny to look backwards and, um, you know, kind of look at where the band started and kind of what their journey was over time. Right. Especially within this just, you know, 72 to 80 window that we're going to focus on here because you know the 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 later albums, Asia and Gaucho in particular, at the time were were kind of seen as um like like missteps, right? Like like uh, moves away from what they were so good at and what people wanted from them, and uh, were not nearly as warmly received as something like Pretzel Logic or or Katy Lyde. And uh, and yet at this moment in time, I think you know here in the in the 21st century, I feel like Asia and Gaucho and, and Royal Scam, for that matter, those three that you ranked kind of as your God tier. I feel like that that's kind of like that that is the state that's the conventional wisdom at this point, right? Is like they they as they went on, they only got better and only yeah. achieved more. Um, and yet, you know, initially. Um, in, in the 70s, you can even sort of chart Robert Christgau's ratings of the albums, right? Like they mm-hmm. start with like A's and A pluses with mm-hmm. Can't Buy a Thrill and Countdown to Ecstasy. And by the time you get to Asia and Gaucho, he's giving them B minuses and C's. Um, and I, I I don't know that I have a, a satisfying answer for why the conventional wisdom has shifted so uh, wildly, you know, kind of throughout the history of the band, but something to, uh, to, to dig at and poke around at, I think as we as we go through this process
1: yeah it's it's strange i feel like uh the one exception uh or maybe just something strange that i've kind of witnessed is uh british critics mm. katie lied almost unanimously is the uh british critics favorite album really yeah um I don't I don't know how to explain that like if No they're British. Uh, the record com- the record the record company just happened to have a, a great marketing campaign or something <laughs> in 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 the UK but it always seems to be the case that Katy lied uh, is is the favorite among the Brits.
0: Interesting. Well, uh listeners to Jokerman podcast out there will know our feelings on uh the British people and uh that cursed <laughs> aisle. So <laughs> we're gonna let that sit for the time being. Katie Lyve, yeah, great record. I can understand but that. uh, you know, uh not uh not not necessarily the, the peak peak of the band. Um that all said, we're here today to inaugurate the series with the first record can't buy a thrill. Uh Steely Dan before they were Steely Dan really in in some ways um and uh, and one fascinating element that we just i, I we got to you know talk about here uh, at the beginning to sort of set the table for everything that's going to follow is how Steely Dan became Steely Dan um in the late 60s really into the early 70s with the meeting of uh, of Don and Walt at Bard uh Donald apparently just like passing by a coffee shop or something right and hearing Walter just like noodling yeah. away on a guitar and being like damn that guy can fucking do it um what what do you what do you think just how do you conceive of like the early days of the band and kind of the way that they came together and how that would go on to inform the first couple years as an actual band you know once they put the name Steely Dan to it and decided hey we're going to start recording music together and trying to trying to do this for real
1: yeah that that moment uh that you talk about with the donald you know coming upon the student hall where where walter's apparently sound checking or something and here's uh what he thinks is a traditional blues man you know probably (laughs) a a black he imagines probably a black uh you know old blues guy and realizes it's uh you know probably like a 18 19 year old kid who he goes to school with. It's, right. it's, it's 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 kind of like that uh you know if they're if they're gonna render this in film it'll be like that moment in the Elvis film where uh you know Tom Hanks hears uh oh, Elvis yeah. on the radio and it's on Records that's uh, Sam Phillips's label. Oh yeah Phillips he makes all those race records with the
0: colored singers Well this fella's on the hayride tonight. After me in the newcomer spot. In Treeport? <laughs> no they are not putting a colored boy on the hayride. That's a thing he's white he's He's white he's white (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, that seems
1: to be Donald's Donald's moment like that but um